Here they are, some resurrection Easter quotes. The first one from a pastor named Paul David Tripp. He wrote, the empty tomb is a garden, not a tomb. It's a garden out of which eternal life grows. Here's one from R.C. Sproul, he's in glory. The resurrection was God the Father's way of authenticating all of the truths that were declared by Jesus. So how do you know who to believe? Believe the man that rose from the dead. Then one from John Piper, whom I love and listen to frequently. Paul, it's kind of colloquial. Paul put all of his eggs in the basket of resurrection. If that didn't happen, then Christianity is just a sham. He's obviously working in 1 Corinthians 15 there, which has this long, if Christ didn't rise, then this, then this, then this. And the last one is, then we are of all people most to be pitied. What a bunch of fools wasting all our time singing about a dead rabbi, except that he's God in the flesh and rose from the dead. The last one from Jonathan Edwards, 1700s, New England. The resurrection of Christ is the most joyful event that ever came to pass. I had to think, is he right? Can I think of any more joyful event? Creation, the flood, no. <laughs> the fall, no. Yeah. The resurrection of Christ is the most joyful, it's joyful. We're here to be joyful today, event that ever came to pass. The great Jonathan Edwards. All right, earlier in the service, Jason had us repeat the second half of a line with him three times. We're gonna do another thing. This one's the authentic one. This one's the historic one. We don't know when this thing got started or by whom in church history, but it's been around a long, long time. We're on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Um, someone says he's risen and the response is, he's risen, yeah, you're, you're ahead of me here. You're good. We're gonna do it three times. Why three times? Because it just feels right. All right? So I'll say the first part, you say the second part. Here we go. He is risen. He's risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. The scripture reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of John, the chapter 20 and the first 10 verses. This is God's word. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, 
he saw. I want you to try and picture his face. We don't know what he looked like, but a human, picture a guy. And what did his face look like? Stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, and being Simon Peter, he went in, went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. He saw and believed. It is our prayer that people here today, that boys and girls downstairs, that folks listening online with us somewhere sometime will see with eyes of faith and believe. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. This is God's word. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for blessing us to gather, to assemble ourselves together, to do the things which you have ordained, to read the scriptures, to pray, to take communion together, to lift our voices together in song and sacred music, and to preach and hear and receive your word. We pray now in this preaching, hearing, and receiving part that the Holy Spirit of God will be very active in souls. May he lead some to saving faith in Jesus. May he strengthen believers greatly with might in the inner man. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So you heard at the end of that scripture reading that, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So it's, it's not only that they didn't yet understand what Jesus had told them on a number of occasions, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Psh, they didn't get it. It's not just that they didn't get Jesus' teaching on this, but neither did they understand the various Old Testament scriptures that foretold, that prophesied about, that looked forward to the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. And probably chief among those, the, 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 the prince of those, if you will, if you had to pick one, if you're going to go to the Old Testament and pick a passage that is the passage par excellence about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, what would it be? To what book would you go? Isaiah. To which chapter? All right, well, it just so happens that's where we're going. So yes, let me read you. So as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. What scripture? Not going to take a lot of time here, but we got to go to Isaiah 53 a little bit. It's Christmas Sunday. So we are now 700 BC, and we're headed into John chapter 20 in the resurrection, but we're taking a minute to go to 700 BC, Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. What happened on that cross was the will of God. God had determined this from eternity past. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Our Savior was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he was put to grief in the beatings and the crucifixion. 
But then we have this promise. When his, Christ's soul, makes an offering for guilt, and that's what Jesus did on that cross. That's why he had to come. That's why the will of God was being accomplished. He was making an offering for guilt. Your guilt. My guilt. Everybody's guilt who will turn and believe on the Lord Jesus. And then as a result of that, when he makes this offering for guilt, it's going to be a death on the cross. We'll see it soon. But here's the resurrection. When he does that, he shall see his offspring. Well, wait a minute. How's he going to make an offering for guilt and yet see his offspring? That's the resurrection. He shall prolong his days. How's he going to prolong his days? That's the resurrection. And the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. How can that be? That's the resurrection. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Satisfied in what? Well, this in particular, by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. That will satisfy him. Fruit for his labors on the cross. Many will bow the knee and believe. Many will confess Jesus as Lord. And he shall bear their iniquities. That is what Jesus did on the cross. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, so he'll still be alive. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Well, you can't make heads or tails of all that unless you have a death followed by a resurrection. Well, did Isaiah foretell the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord, as did many other prophets. Now to John chapter 20. They didn't as yet understand those scriptures. Verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene. Let's just pause there. Ladies, I think team woman wins today. Yeah. Like, you're gonna, we're going to see that. Or not. We're going to kind of keep score. I'll forget. We won't keep very good score. But this one's one. That's a point for the girls. There's a point for the guys. All right. Team woman's going to win. And isn't it wonderful that Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early? She's early. While it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. All right. Notice. Now it's on the first day of the week. Why do Christians worship on the first day of the week? Under the old covenant, in the law, it was the seventh day of the week. It had been that for 1,400 years. And God had commanded and commanded and commanded and commanded the Sabbath as being the day of rest and the day of worship for his people. But we come to the New Testament, and we find the new covenant people worshiping on the first day of the week. You can read about that in Acts chapter 20. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came to break bread, Paul prolonged his sermon till midnight. It was an evening service, folks. Because <laughs> it was a working day for most of them, and they met in the evening. So how, did, how was that dramatic change in the day of worship made. Why was that dramatic change in the day of worship made? Here's why. 
because there is no greater event to commemorate than the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the entire church said, we're gonna worship on that day, the day that he rose. And the apostles uh, authorized that. So we're on the first day of the week. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene. I'm happy to tell you it is widely accepted among secular non-Christian historians that Mary Magdalene was a real historic person in the first century who was a real follower of Jesus Christ. We see her first, by the way, in Luke chapter eight. Gonna jump over there, don't have a slide for this. Verses one and two, we read uh, who's following Jesus in Luke chapter eight. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out, Luke 8, 1 and 2. So we don't know much about her actual life, what she lived like, what she did, what she didn't do, but we can imagine with some sanctified imagination and a woman who had seven demons. Probably not a Sunday school teacher, right? Probably some violations of God's law going on in her life. And she's the, the heroine of Jesus' resurrection accounts. You gotta love that. Mary Magdalene, by the way, is mentioned by name 12 times in the Gospels. That's more than any other woman by far, and more than most of the apostles who are barely mentioned. She played a very significant role in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And she's the first person to arrive. She got up early. She's the first person to arrive at the tomb of Jesus. One for the women. Now, other women came later, and the other gospel writers tell us about that, and Mary herself seems to offhandedly acknowledge that there were other women there later, because when she goes back to Peter and John, she says, quote, they have taken the Lord, and we don't know where. So after a while, other women showed up, and now there's a we. There's Mary and some others. The other gospel writers report that. But Mary came to the tomb early. I like, I like people who do things early. Some of you are night owls. There's still time to repent. It's okay. <laughs> I used to be a night owl. When I was younger, I was very much a night owl. Wife and kids go to bed at maybe 10, and I'd, I'd always stay up for another three hours or so because I wanted to read what I wanted to read, and I couldn't get to read that stuff until that time of day, and then everybody went quiet, and I could read what I wanted. So I used to be a night owl. I don't know how the transition made now, but I think it's just because I'm older and I can't sleep very well, so I start waking up in the three o'clock, and by 4.30, I'm done with that, and I just get up. So I'm no longer a night owl. Now I'm dozing off at 9.30. Why am I telling you all this? I don't know. <laughs> so I'm often awake early, and I know a few of you guys are awake early, and you know I am, and once in a while, one of you will shoot me a text at like 4.45, and I'll text you right back, and we'll both go like, yeah, team early here. Uh-huh. Mary, we don't know if she slept late usually, but on this day, she was team early because she loved the Lord Jesus with a holy love. And she had followed him and she, she believed in his words and his teaching as much as she could understand them, though she did not yet understand the resurrection. So she was out to the tomb because of love. She was up early because of love. It's a little bit of a reach, a little bit of a jump, but I'm going to say, you should come to Jesus Christ 
early. Early in life. You should get up early to know the Lord Jesus. You should get up early to repent of your sins and believe on Christ and be made right with God. Don't put that off. Don't wait till later in life. Sometime maybe God will move in my soul. No, don't leave till tomorrow because you have no promise of a tomorrow anyway. This is the day of grace. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ early and be saved. So Mary's there early and surprised the stone had been taken or rolled away, other gospel writers, from the opening of the tomb. Mark tells us in his gospel, it was a very large stone. Matthew tells us there was an earthquake, an angel descended, rolled back the stone, and then I love this little detail, and then sat on the stone. Isn't that interesting? So Mary comes up and there's an angel sitting on a stone. Have you ever seen an angel sitting on a stone? Why was he, did they get tired? Why is he sitting on the stone? That's why it's kind of curious, but he's sitting on the stone. Verse two, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, now this is funny, the other disciple, that's John who's writing this, me, he says. She went to Simon Peter and I'm gonna be real humble here and not even name myself and I'll just say he's the other disciple but he is the one whom Jesus loved. Just being humble and she ran to Simon Peter and to John and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. John 20, verse two. Now, Mary had surely heard Jesus talk about, foretell, prophesy about his own coming death, burial, and resurrection, but God had not flipped on the light. She did not yet understand any possibility of Jesus rising from the dead. And we find out that, as we go on, we find out that she thinks Jesus was the gardener. Is that the worst case of mistaken identity ever or what? Thought it was the gardener. It's God in the flesh, risen from the dead, glorified. God Almighty thought it was the gardener. She was wrong. Verse three, so Peter went out with the other disciple, that's John again, and they were going toward the tomb. And now, why does John put this in there? Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. You have to wonder if they had this, a lot of guys have this. It's how they express their friendship. Women don't do this so much, but guys, guys rib each other about things, make fun of each other, poke at each other, much more than women do, I think, on average. Maybe they had that thing going, I'm maybeing there. But the other disciple outran Peter, I ran faster than Peter, and reached the tomb first. John thought it was important that right here in the Bible, that all Christians for all of time would know the important fact that John ran faster than Peter. <laughs> and what they saw when they got there. What an amazing sight. What an amazing moment in human history, in redemptive history. As Jonathan Edwards said, they just now ran into the most joyful thing ever. Verse five, and stooping to look in, this is John, he saw, and I want you to just imagine his brain ticking, trying to find a category for what he's seeing. If you had been there, you might have heard him go, what? He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. 
because he's John. Peter's going to show up, go right in. Impetuous Peter. But John looked in, and maybe he did a double take, and his brain's working, and he's trying to figure out the cloths are lying there. These are the grave clothes from back in verses 39 and 40. This was back in the day. They just wrapped you up and sprinkled in, in this case, 75 to 100 pounds of good-smelling herbs, compliments of Joseph of Arimathea, who came out as a follower of Jesus after his crucifixion. And they placed Jesus in the tomb. But the odd thing is, John's looking in, and you know, if the tomb's empty, somebody must have taken him somewhere. Wait a minute. The grave clothes are still there. Now, we don't know. So please don't think you know, because we don't know. We don't know. What did he see? There's really two options. Like one is the grave clothes were still all wound up, but a little compressed. Because Jesus, who a little later in the chapter is going to walk through walls with locked doors and suddenly appear in a room, he can go through stuff. And so the assumption there is he didn't unwrap. He just exited and left it all there wrapped. And that could be, we just don't have any proof that it was, in my opinion. By the way, backing up to the stone, you, you know why the stone was rolled away? It wasn't rolled away so Jesus could get out. He didn't need to roll away a stone to get out. It was rolled away so people could see in. So we don't know, what did John see? Did he see the grave clothes all still wrapped, but the thing that would have been over the face folded and put over somewhere else? Why would that be? That's curious. Or did he look in and, and the grave clothes had been unwrapped? Did an angel help unwrap Jesus? Did Jesus unwrap himself? Lazarus did when Jesus raised Lazarus. So maybe Jesus could have unwrapped himself and they were all wrapped, but the one piece that was on his face was folded. He saw one of those two things. The one would have been like very goosebumpy, and the other one would have been very, very goosebumpy. But we don't really know. I'm sorry if I just, are you mad at me now? Because you wanted it to all still be wrapped, right? But we don't really know that. Verse 6, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. So now John follows Peter in. And he saw and believed. Team men. The first one to get it in God's sovereignty. The first one to get it by the grace of God. It's not that he saw necessarily and the thing was wound and so he realized he must have raised right through that. That's possible, but more likely it's just that at this moment, God put his divine hand into, into, into John's soul and flipped on the lights. And the Old Testament scriptures and the teachings of Jesus about his own resurrection suddenly just came alive in John's soul. Think about it. Out of all humanity, John was the first person to comprehend the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not sure any Old, prophets, Old Testament prophets even comprehended it. They searched what or what manner of thing the Spirit in them was saying. They were given the words and they wrote the words, but they might not have made all the connections. But John, team guys, John, believed. Have you believed? 
Have you believed in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Have you believed to the saving of your soul? Have you turned that he may be God to you? Have you called upon his saving name? Lord Jesus, said the thief on the cross, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Those words will do. It's not the words. It's not some magic formula. Recite this prayer after me. It's magical. It's not some mantra. It's your soul has moved toward Christ and wants him to be your God and your Savior. Have you believed? Has God flipped on the light? Verse 11. Now Mary has rejoined them. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. She's still weeping. He's dead. They took him. I don't know where he is. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. So Peter and John have gone by now. She's back at the tomb, and she looks inside. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Let's stop there. She saw angels. She's going to have a little conversation with the angels. There's a song by a band called the Black Crows. You ever heard of Black Crows? And they have a song, She Talks with Angels. I listened to it again this morning. It's, a cool, it's like three-chord blues song. It's pretty cool. But this is not, that's fictitious. This is real. She saw two angels. You go, why haven't I ever seen an angel? Man, I would love, would you love? I know it could be terrifying or it could be amazing. I would love to see an angel. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and at the last day, and forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, you'll see and live with angels. But Mary's granted to see two angels. They're in white. By the way, Luke describes these angels as, quote, two men dressed in clothes that gleamed like lightning. And Matthew portrays them this way, quote, they had the appearance of lightning and wearing garments as white as snow. So Mary comes back to the tomb. This time she looks in and she sees two angels and they're like lightning in there. Whew. Team women. That's a win. Wouldn't you love to see an angel? Alas, most of God's people have not yet seen an angel and will not until the last day. And you need to know that angels do not just indiscriminately appear to people for no special reason at various times. When angels appear throughout the history of redemption in the word of God, it's at very strategic times when a human was a strategic person. I keep using that word strategic. In, in a moment of redemptive history, and God needed to guide them with an angel or help them with an angel or reveal something to them through an angel. Angels don't just appear to all the rank and file of God's people. When an angel shows up, God's cooking something very big and needed an angel to go there. So there is no surprise that angels show up at the most joyful event in all of history, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So she sees the angels. Let's read verse 14. Having said this, she turned and saw Jesus standing but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? 
supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, and flipped on the switch. You'd like to think it's just humanly speaking when she heard his voice, but she'd already heard his voice and thought he was the gardener. But when he uttered the word Mary, he, I don't know how to put this, he turned off his cloaking device. He revealed himself to her. And probably by the sound of his voice and by his appearance now, she knew. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She mistook Jesus for the gardener. Some of you might be mistaking Jesus for a myth, for a a figment of silly people's, hopeful people's imagination. Some of you might be mistaking Jesus for an ancient story that supposedly got changed and changed and changed and changed, and now we really know nothing about the historical Jesus if there ever was one. Some of you might be believing that stuff. Some of you might think Jesus is just a dead rabbi. He was a fool who uttered a bunch of things back when and told a lot of stories that are hard to understand. Your case, I say it lovingly, say it reverently, your case is a tragic case of mistaken identity. He is the Lamb of God. He is God the Son. He is the only Redeemer of God's people. You need Jesus Christ. You need to turn to him and call upon him and believe in him and follow him. You need to have him be your God and your Lord and you be his child. When Jesus said her name Mary, he turned off the cloaking and she believed. Oh, may Jesus Christ turn off the cloaking. May you see with eyes of faith and believe in him and come to Jesus Christ. But Mary, team Mary, became the first person to see Jesus risen. Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus had cast seven demons, was honored and blessed to be the first person to see Jesus alive. Women are doing pretty good in this passage, amen? I mean, Mary could have started like a t-shirt line. Mary looking like a rock star. There's an empty tomb in the background. There's some lightning-like angels over there. I'm going to get even worse. Somebody could start a girl band, a Christian girl band, Daughters of Mary Magdalene. (laughs) Former violators of commands who have come to Christ and now play guitars in the name of Jesus. Jesus speaks and Mary hears. No surprise. Let's go back to John chapter 10. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus as the great shepherd. He says, the sheep hear his voice. The shepherds, he's referring to himself. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. You're not just, if you're in Christ, you're not just a blur among a great mass of God's people and he just sees a blur. He calls you by name. And he leads them out, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Mary knew his voice, and by faith, by the illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit in her soul, she really knew his voice at this point. And apparently, when she said, Rabboni, she fell down on her knees and was 
grasping around his knees and clinging to him out of holy love so that Jesus says in verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. Now, it's not because he was too holy to cling to. It's not because he was now just some wispy spirit thing that you couldn't grab. Your arms would just pass right through him. He was resurrected humanity and deity perfectly wed. But Jesus said, do not cling to me for a reason, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. What's the point of that? I have things to do and you have things to do. This can't be a long cling, lady. Here's what I want you to do. Go, don't cling to me, but go. Go to my brothers. Jesus calls us brothers. The book of Hebrews makes a point out of that. Maybe you don't call him a brother, but he calls us brothers in that he shared flesh like we share. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and Mary and brothers, your father. Jesus authenticates the faith of Mary and Jesus authenticates the faith of the other disciples. I'm going to my father and your father, tell them that. And I'm going to my God and your God, tell them that. These men and this woman, they had God as their God. The father was their father. That's why they believed on the Lord Jesus. Do you have God as your God? And is the Father your Father? Then you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, and you'll be saved. So Mary, don't cling to me. I'm gonna get a little spiritualizing out of that again. I've done it twice in the sermon. Somebody's gonna take me aside and reprimand me afterward. Do you know that you can cling to Jesus Christ right now. And many of you do, don't you? You love him and you cling to him with the arms of your soul wrapped around him. Nobody goes to heaven but those who love and cling to the Lord Jesus because when you believe on him, he gives you a new heart and that heart is a clingy heart. It clings to the Savior. You would follow him anywhere. You want to obey him, and you're grieved when you don't. Cling to the Lord Jesus. Give up the whole world. Lose it all to cling with, to stick with Jesus Christ. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples. Here's what she said. I have seen the Lord. What a great message. I have seen the Lord. She might not have known a lot of theology. She might not have memorized much scripture from Deuteronomy, but she was able to say, I have seen the Lord. And she announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. He told me to come tell you guys this. Team women is scoring right and left here. I failed to keep score. Well, we're going to skip over some verses. Jesus appears to his disciples, then he appears to Doubting Thomas. We saw that earlier in a song we were in. Jesus appears, walks through walls, shows the the places where the nails had gone, where the spear had been in his side. Let's, Let's pick it up right there with Thomas, Doubting Thomas, verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. God flipped on the switch in Thomas's soul right there. He believed. He received the Lord Jesus. He became a child of God by grace through faith. My Lord and my God. If you're going to be in heaven, you will now be saying, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen? 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And that's so many of you, all followers of Jesus Christ. You're blessed. You haven't seen him yet, but you believe. Verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe. Keyboard time, thanks. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Have you believed? Do you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit tugging at your soul saying, go ahead, believe. Turn to Jesus Christ and close the gap between you and him. Close with Christ and begin to love and follow and call upon his saving name. Have you believed? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Happy Easter, everybody. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time in your holy word. We pray that the Spirit of God would draw those who are far from Christ into his holy presence and grant them faith and repentance. Thank you that by your grace, so many of us have become your blood-bought children. We pray, oh God, that we would show so shine light that you would be glorified in heaven. We pray for all in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, would you like to talk to a Cornerstone pastor? One of our pastors would love to talk with you. How can you set that up? Here's the easy way. Just text the word pastor to the number on the screen. One of our guys will get a hold of you. Pastor Stan, lead us in communion.